Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. My name is Linda House. I'm the president of the Cancer Support Community, and I'm just sitting in this week for your regular host, Kim Tibaldo, who will be back with you next week. The Cancer Support Community is the combination of the Wellness Community and Gilda's Club, which is united to become one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. As a matter of fact, our services are offered at more than 170 locations worldwide and online through our website, which is www.cancersupportcommunity.org. A National Cancer Institute study found that inherited genetic mutations play a major role in about 5 to 10% of all cancers. Genetic tests can tell whether a person with a family history of a certain cancer has one of these types of mutations. These tests can also show whether family members without obvious disease have inherited the same type of mutation as a family member who carries a cancer-associated mutation. These tests have led to an uptick in early detection and increased prevention options for patients and people who are at risk. Today, we're also able to understand the molecular makeup of tumors, which informs physicians to take a very personalized approach to treating patients. Now, that's a lot that I've just given you. We've talked about identifying patients who are at risk, and we've also talked about patients who maybe have a tumor and how we can look within that tumor to be very specific about the treatment approaches for those patients. So on this episode today, we're going to take a deeper dive into that and really talk about the details behind that very high-level description. And so we're hoping that we'll answer a number of the questions that you may have about this evolving field of of medicine. And part of today's show, we're very fortunate to be joined by two individuals who have a lot of experience in these spaces. Um, First, we will be talking with Dr. Holly Peterson, and then we will be joined by a patient, Christine Croissant, later in the show. Christine is a, a patient of Dr. Peterson's. So let me tell you a bit about Dr. Holly Peterson. Dr. Peterson is the director of the medical breast program at the Cleveland Clinic and Associate Professor of Medicine at the Cleveland Clinic Lerner College of Medicine, Case Western Reserve University. Her focus is on breast diagnostics, breast cancer risk assessment and management, and the risk of uh, and the treatment of high-risk patients. She runs a hereditary high-risk clinic for patients with identified genetic mutations predisposing to breast cancer and is actively involved in clinical research. She's a board-certified internal medicine specialist completed a clinical genetics fellowship at the Cleveland Clinic in 2008 and at the City of Hope training in 2017. She serves on the Genomics High Risk Focus Group at the Cleveland Clinic as a member of the Cancer Genetics Program of the Case Comprehensive Cancer Center and also on the NCCN Breast Cancer Risk Reduction Committee, which helps inform physicians from around the world about treating patients with cancer or at a risk for cancer. Dr. Peterson received her BA in biochemistry from the University of California, Santa Barbara, and she earned her medical degree from the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine. So with those credentials, I hope that that you see how fortunate we really are to have Dr. Peterson's time today. So welcome to the show, Dr. Peterson. Thank you so much, and thank you for that kind introduction. 
Well, we have an hour to deep dive into what's fascinating around genetics, both for risk and for and for treatment. So could you just start by telling us um, a little bit about you and, you know, your interest in medicine and how did you sort of progress towards breast cancer as your specialty? Well, as you mentioned, I'm an, in, I'm an internist by training, and I gravitated towards women's health, and in 1997 was approached by the head of the breast center at that time, Dr. Joseph Crow, who asked if I might want to further subspecialize and just inform women at risk for breast cancer or in the diagnosis of breast cancer. And so it was at that time that I took on breast as a full-time focus. And, and talk to us a little bit about this whole um, evolution of personalized medicine. And, you know, I really think, I think back on my career, I'm an oncology nurse by, uh, by training and practice, and we've, breast cancer has really led the way um, on around personalized medicine. So could you talk a little bit about, about that? You're so right. I think that, you know, in in terms of discussing genetics and genomics in medicine, breast cancer has led the way, and really what what we've learned in breast cancer is just the tip of the iceberg with regard to the genetic and genomic basis of many, if not most, diseases. Um, You know, everybody has a unique variation of the human genome, and most variation between individuals has no effect on health. Uh, For instance, I have blue eyes, you may have brown eyes, and clearly that doesn't influence our health. But there are certain genetic variations together with influences from the environment that do affect an individual individual's health. And personalized health care basically uses predictive tools to evaluate health risks and to design personalized health plans to help patients reduce their risk or manage their risk, actually prevent disease, and even treat it with precision when it occurs. We're now learning how to identify high-risk patients and also learning how to utilize genetics and genomics to better treat patients when when problems arise. So you use the two G words, and I'm going to ask you to go into detail around those. So there is a there is a clear difference between genetics and genomics, although they are very closely related. So could you tell us the the difference between the similarities and the differences between genetics and genomics? What are these G words? Yeah, that's so important. You know, genetics and genomics are two terms that are often incorrectly used interchangeably. Um, genetics is really the study of single genes and their role in in the way traits or conditions are passed from one generation to the next, really the study of single genes. And genomics is a term that describes the study of all parts of an organism's genes. You know, the genes contain the DNA which direct uh, protein synthesis in our body, directing function of the cells. Humans have thousands of genes that are packed into 23 pairs of chromosomes. And if you look at all of the DNA uh, of a a person together, that's really the genome, whereas 
genetics deals with individual genes, which may be important in certain diseases. Does that help? It does help. Maybe you could give us some specific examples of uh, of some of the high-profile scenarios that we've heard around genetics or genomics. Sure. So, so most you know most tests looking at single genes are related to the prediction of certain diseases, um, such as uh, with the BRCA genes, uh, they are tumor suppressor genes, which if they are changed or what we call mutated in an individual person, uh, that person may be at very high risk for the development of of breast cancer uh, and ovarian cancer. There are also other genetic disorders such as fragile X syndrome or Duchenne muscular dystrophy where we've identified genetic influences uh, and we can test for those. But There is also a growing number of tests that are being developed to look at multiple genes that may increase or decrease a person's risk of common diseases such as cancer or diabetes, more of a genomic approach. And we're also developing pharmacogenetic tests, which may be used to help identify variations that can influence a person's response to medications. Um, this is all very new, and there's much we still need to learn about how effective these new tests are and the best way to use them. But we've made a lot of headway in terms of identifying single genes that we can test for, and we're on the uh, on the way to using multiple genes and their interactions to both determine risk and response to treatments. And um, I'll also add side effects, a person's likelihood to develop a side effect from a treatment potentially, which is exciting. That is, that is true as well. Yep, and very new. So talk to us a little bit about a patient's family history. So are we only, when you're talking about doing genetic testing or genomic testing, are we only talking about patients who have a demonstrated family history, or are we talking about a, a, a different role? So just, just talk about that for us, family history. So, you know, genetics has gotten so complicated, but what we like to say is that the, the best and cheapest genetic test is really a good family history. And many times families in a situation where someone was diagnosed very early with a catastrophic disease if they do well, the family tends to heal and put that behind them. And conversely, if that person doesn't do well, the family needs to heal and move past that as well. Sometimes the families who are at highest risk for harboring a genetic change that may influence everyone's risk is really those families are the least likely to seek information. I think... We, we owe, really owe a lot around awareness to Angelina Jolie in 2013, who really bravely came forth with her story of carrying a BRCA1 mutation and uh, choosing to undergo risk-reducing surgery to decrease her risk of both breast and ovarian cancer. Um, The BRCA1 gene was discovered in 1994, and the BRCA2 gene in 1995, 
And it really wasn't until 2013 that awareness around genetics really became more widespread. Uh, and families started talking about family history and the idea of genetic counseling and testing. Uh, we typically recommend genetic testing in the breast cancer area for families where there are people who, there are a lot of people diagnosed with cancer, multiple affected uh, generations, where people are diagnosed under the age of 50, uh, families where someone's been diagnosed with bilateral breast cancer, ovarian cancer at any age, because the incidence of having a genetic mutation in that situation is about 25%, um, triple negative breast cancer, male breast cancer, and also special populations such as the Ashkenazi community. Um, you asked, you know, where are we with population-based testing? In the non-Jewish population, the likelihood of, of carrying a BRCA mutation in general is about one in every 500 people. But in the Jewish community, it's one in 40. And some centers, including ours, are really offering specialized genetic testing for the Jewish community to anyone, even without a family history of disease. Great. This is fascinating. Um, we're going to have to take a quick break. And then we will be right back with Dr. Holly Peterson from the Cleveland Clinic to break down even more this amazing information that we've received in segment one. Please join us after this short commercial break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand. Choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer. Created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Hi, I'm Nick Nicolaitis, President and CEO of Morphotech, and we're delighted to be a sponsor of Cancer Support Community's Frankly Speaking About Cancer series. Morphotech and its parent company, Azi, are committed to human health care, and we recognize that patients and their families are the most important participants in the healthcare process. We salute our global advocacy partners who are devoted to improving the lives of people touched by cancer every day. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you by Myriad. 
and we're joined by Dr. Holly Peterson. She's the director of the medical breast program at the Cleveland Clinic, and she also runs a hereditary breast risk clinic for patients with identified genetic mutations who that predispose them to breast cancer uh, in particular. And so we are now in segment two, and Dr. Peterson, thank you for the wealth of information that you've given us in, in segment one. It's really helpful and I think puts a different lens on it for, for our listeners. You're welcome, um, and thank you for having me. I would love to start this second segment um, by asking you to, again, maybe repeat a little bit about what you, you, what you just said um, about why genetic testing is so important. Well, you know, the genes that we're born with may increase our risk for cancer. And in certain families where there's a suggestion of hereditary risk, early onset disease, more frequent disease than, than you'd expect. Um, for some people, becoming aware that they carry a cancer-causing gene may spur them to take preventive action. And I think that that's where, you know, that's where the current awareness is heading is in identifying people at very high risk and providing them information to manage that risk. It's really been estimated that only about 4% of people in this country who carry genetic mutations increasing their cancer risk have been identified, so we really have a lot of work to do. These genes that we talk about, BRCA1 and BRCA2 in particular, but there are a number of other genes now that have been identified that also are associated with risk, they are what we call tumor suppressor genes. And so we're all born with two copies of every gene in our body, one we inherit from our mom and one we inherit from our dad. And in an individual cell, both copies of that gene have to become defective in order for the brakes to come off, so to speak, the tumor suppressor function to be lost and for a cancer to form. And that's why in the general population, cancers occur relatively later over a lot of time and, and the ability for multiple insults to, to uh, affect a given cell. But in an individual that has a defective copy of a gene in every cell in their body, all that has to happen is for that one copy to become defective and then a tumor can form. That's why people are so highly predisposed and why cancers occur more often and also earlier in life. Um, I think that it's also really important when you talk about genetics to recognize that genetic influences come from both sides of your family. A lot of people really still feel that the mother's side is more important, but it's actually 50-50. You get half of your genetic information from your father's side. So your father obviously is not going to express breast or ovarian cancer, but if he had a mother or sister with early onset disease or ovarian cancer, that's something to really be taken seriously. And so, you know, why is this so important? Because... We don't even think about beginning breast cancer screening in the general population until people are 40, and now with some recommendations, even 50. But in the BRCA population, breast cancer 
start around 30, and the likelihood of developing a breast cancer before the age of 50 approaches 50%. There's a 50-50 chance of getting breast cancer by the age that many people would begin screening. With BRCA, we begin screening at 25. So it's so important to know and know early uh, so that people can really get the care that they need and be proactive. So I want to just, I want to clarify, I'm going to ask a clarifying question from what I heard you talk about. So you're talking about, um, you're talking about both mothers and fathers passing on genes, right, to, to their, their children. Right. So when you think about actually testing humans, right, doing the genetic testing on humans, are you able to do genetic testing on both men and women to determine Definitely. if they are, okay, can you just say a little bit more about that? Yeah, so genetic testing is really done uh, with a blood sample. And it sounds simple, but actually it requires a lot of information and informed consent. And that's why it's so important that we include licensed genetic counselors or genetic specialists to explain these tests to patients before they have them done and to interpret the results. Uh, In the past, We had single gene tests, like for BRCA1 and BRCA2, and now we have what's called multi-gene panel testing. Uh, That came about in 2013, which allows us the capability to test for multiple different genes all at the same time for a similar cost. And certainly, some genes are more important than others, and the what-ifs become all the more complex, and that's where it's so important to have genetic counseling involved in what might not be a, a so simple blood test. Right, and so tell us, and this may be what you're talking about, there have been recent advances in hereditary cancer risk assessments, and I've heard of something called SNPs. And I believe that stands for single nucleotide polymorphism. Is that a part of the panel testing that you're talking about, or is that different? And maybe you could just walk us through that a little bit. Sure. So basically, there are there are three main gene categories when you're talking about quote genetic testing, and the the most important category in terms of of uh, hereditary risk are what we call the highly penetrant gene mutations, the very high-risk mutations like BRCA1, BRCA2, P53, P10, CDH1, and PALB2 that, you know, toss around a lot of alphabet soup. But those are the risks, those are the genes that markedly increase risk. And they're together on these gene panels, these multi-gene panels. With those genes, there are also other emerging moderate-risk genes like ATM and CHECK2 and NBN, for example, that increase risk, say, on the order of, you know, a person may have a lifetime risk of getting breast cancer of, say, 30% as opposed to the 87% risk that may be seen in BRCA mutations, uh, there's a lower risk, but certainly those families 
may benefit from enhanced screening, like with MRI or even medication to reduce their risk. So it's important to know both about the high-risk genes and the moderate-risk genes, and those are all included on the multi-gene panels. But then we also are getting currently into the realm of these single nucleotide polymorphisms. What I would say is that in women who have had negative BRCA testing in the past, you know, a lot of women wonder, should I go back and get a gene panel? Uh, you know, because that may, that may explain an additional 4 to 10 percent of families that have yet been unexplained. So I would encourage breast cancer survivors, uh, to readdress genetic testing with their healthcare providers if they had negative BRCA testing in the past. Now these SNP panels are different. Um, Genetic mutations are rare, but SNP changes are very common. And we've identified over 100 SNPs that are linked to breast cancer risk, but individually confer very, very slight levels of increased risk. But together, these gene panels may help to explain up to 14% of families' uh, risk that has not previously been defined. And again, we're, it, our knowledge is really emerging on how to interpret these tests, but it definitely could help a woman make decisions about screening, about high-risk screening, or even about medication to reduce her risk. Great. And we've got about two minutes left in this segment, so I'm going to come back to this topic in the, the next segment. But just just quickly, um, I hear you mention high-risk mutations and moderate-risk mutations that um, are also found in diseases other than just breast and ovarian cancer. So you're talking about um, also screening for diseases beyond breast and ovarian cancer as a possibility as well, correct? Well, it's interesting because these multi-gene panels uh, typically include high and moderate-risk genes for all cancer types. And so if you have a genetic test, a multi-gene panel test, with a family history of breast cancer, you may get information back that you may be at increased risk for colon cancer or thyroid cancer or stomach cancer. And so um, these panels are not breast-specific but are cancer-specific. And it's it's interesting because... um, There are other panels that one might order in terms of of heart disease and other diseases. Uh, We're just, we're really learning so much more about genetics, but these multi-gene panels typically include uh, cancer genes in general. Great. So you may be going in thinking that you're going to learn one thing and learn something completely different or unexpected. That is so right, and that that's where the uh, genetic counselor really, really, really comes into play because with BRCA, you kind of understood that your result could either be that you have a mutation, that you don't have a mutation, 
or that you have a variant of uncertain significance about which we don't have enough information to to really tell you whether it's cancer-causing or not. And that was really the extent of the discussion. But now there are multiple genes, again with those three results, positive, negative, or a variant of uncertain significance, and the genetic counselor really can help people sort through what these things mean. Yes, great point. And we are going to take another quick commercial break, and we will be back with more following this break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Train, sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. We're back with Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's show is brought to you by Myriad. And as a reminder, I am not Kim Tebaldo. I am Linda House, the president of the Cancer Support Community. And Kim Tebaldo, your normal host, will be back with you next week. I'm just filling in. We've been talking with Dr. Holly Peterson from the Cleveland Clinic. Fascinating information about the development of genetic and genomic testing and the important role that it plays in both diagnostics, 
treatment and predictive abilities for patients receiving um, treatment. And Dr. Peterson, thanks so much for what you've been providing us. And I wanted to pick up on the comments that you were making right before the break about patients who um, have genetic testing may come back positive, negative, or I believe you said a variant of uncertain significance. Significance. So could you, yeah, could you walk us through that again and, and talk through that a little bit? Sure. You know, when when you have a, a, a what we call a deleterious gene mutation, a, a gene change that we know causes cancer, we can often give you information about what your risk might look like and what you might do to manage that risk. But up to 28% of the time with these multi-gene panels, patients will receive a result of a variant of uncertain significance. And it's so important that we don't make clinical decisions based on these variants. They really are just changes about which we are in the process of learning. And uh, a patient who gets that result should make decisions based on their personal history and family history and not make surgical or medical decisions based on the variant. Okay. And, and talk to us a little bit about the difference between germline and somatic tumor testing. Does that fall at all into this conversation? So, so you know, there's, there's so much confusion around, around the different types of genetic testing. And germline testing is when you have a family history of disease and go in for a blood test, which will identify changes in every cell in your body, germline changes that increase your risk for cancer. But what we're also now doing is in patients who are diagnosed with cancer, uh, we are doing genomic testing on the tumor itself. It's called somatic or tumor testing to identify mutations within the tumor that may help guide therapy. And um, just because a BRCA1 mutation is identified in a tumor, that definitely doesn't mean that the person carries a germline BRCA1 mutation, but these mutations can commonly be seen in tumors that help drive its growth. And so... um, So it's a completely different situation whether you're going in for a blood test to tell whether you are predisposed to cancer risk or whether you're using your tumor's genomic profile to guide treatment. Does that that make sense? It does, but I I think it's so important. I want to spend a little bit of, uh, I want to spend just a little minute on that again because you hear people sort of throw around the comment, I'm BRCA positive, right? Or I'm BRCA negative. But so you're saying that a person could be BRCA negative, but their tumor could actually be BRCA positive. That's very, very common, actually, because the BRCA genes and actually the P10 gene um, are common, what we call driver mutations in tumors. And so um, if someone does have this tumor testing done, which identifies one of these gene mutations, it absolutely doesn't mean that they're a BRCA carrier and that their family should be tested. OK. 
Okay. I think that's a really important distinction that I don't know that we we hear in sort of the common language, you know, that ex- right. that is exchanged between patients or 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 healthcare professionals for that that matter. Right. And, and you know, and when we do this tumor testing, you know, it's not 100%. It can be really challenging to determine what actionable variants that are reported may be most beneficial for the patient. We don't always get useful information for an individual patient when we sequence the tumors, but it is, you know, a, a, a way that can help or help identify people that are eligible for clinical trials, and, and um, sometimes it's recommended, but it's definitely not something that helps everyone every time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we've talked a bit about um, testing patients to uh, identify their risk, and that would be through germline testing. Right. We are talked a little bit about um, testing patients who already have tumors, testing their actual tumors, somatic testing. So what about patients um, if they have a recurrence of their breast cancer? What kind well, of testing should patients think about in those scenarios? So when, when patients have, uh, have uh, typically metastatic disease or, or disease that's spread to other parts of their body, that's sometimes a situation where we do employ the tumor somatic testing to see whether we can intervene in any specific way. But it's also a time to reevaluate the family history because what we've found um, is that, say, in men with metastatic prostate cancer, um, over 10% of those men have BRCA mutations. Um, in families that are suggestive of a BRCA uh, risk uh, in breast and ovarian cancer, that's a time to test because there are specific therapies, um, PARP inhibitor therapies in particular, that can be employed in those situations uh, to help BRCA-associated cancer patients get a better response. And so um, what I would say is that um, genetic testing is so important, and now I'm back to germline testing. I'm back to um, do you have a, a change that affects every cell in your body because there are specific therapies that can be used for BRCA carriers uh, not only in ovarian cancer, but now in metastatic breast cancer and also in prostate cancer um, that can specifically help BRCA carriers. Hmm. It's very interesting and very complex and really yeah. underscores what you said earlier about the importance of, of having a great genetic counselor and professional to help sort all of this out. Right, right. But, but there are treatments that help BRCA-positive individuals specifically. And, you know, we're now not able only to tailor breast cancer treatment based on the genetic changes in the tumor, but also on the inherited factors driving its development. It's sort of a two-pronged approach to personalized care. Mm-hmm. 
And and do you expect, you know, because now you've mentioned, um, you know, how, we, you know, we talked in the beginning about how breast cancer really sort of led the way of, of personalized medicine. And now with your last comment, you talk about how um, BRCA in particular is being, um, testing is being shown to be effective in patients with breast, ovarian, and in men with prostate cancer. So do you expect that um, over time, you know, whether that's short-term or long-term, that we'll be able to identify even more diseases that will have a direct impact on? Oh, I definitely think so. I, I definitely think that we're going to be identifying gene changes that, um, that not only predispose to disease, but also predispose to earlier disease. And, you know, I, I think that that's, that's really, you know, we're going to ultimately change the future of cancer care by identifying high-risk patients, you know, helping manage risk with preventive therapies and and um, specifically guiding treatments in a personalized way for, for patients based on their genes. And so how would you, as um, a healthcare professional, and I know that we're going to be going to a commercial break shortly, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to your patient, Christine, but as the healthcare professional, you know, what advice would you give our listeners about really having conversations with their healthcare professional, and who would that be um, about genetic testing? I think that's that's such an important question. You know, what can everyone do? And I think that the the first step is to to sit down at the at the family dinner table and really talk about about family history. Um, are there early multiple and rare cancers? Um, if individuals are diagnosed at an early age or diagnosed with rare cancers like ovarian cancer, pancreatic cancer, or male breast cancer. Uh, bring this information to a health provider and don't give up. Be your own best advocate and don't be dismissed. Um, I think that there are so many stories that you hear where someone thought they might be at risk, but they were dismissed by a health care provider. Don't give up and, and keep going. Um, and again, with, with survivors, return for that gene panel testing if the BRCA testing was negative. Um, and so uh, it, I think it's reasonable to start with a primary care provider, but, but don't give up if you feel like your family is at risk. Great. Thank you so much. And as we go into the break, um, I am going to I'm going to thank you. I know we're going to transition over to talking with Christine, but I really want to take a moment and thank you for all that you've provided us on this show. And, you know, during the break, we commented that we could use another hour or two. So we're going to come back after you and see if you'll be willing to to share your time and knowledge with our listeners in, in the future. So thank you so much, Dr. Peterson. We oh, appreciate. I'd be honored. And thank you so much for having me. Great. Thank you so much. And also, as we head into the next break, I want to remind our listeners of the Cancer Support Community's Cancer Experience Registry. Today, we have over 12,000 patients and caregivers who have shared their cancer journey with us. We have 10 specialty registries on um, both metastatic and non-metastatic breast cancer um, for for you to join, and then an additional registries for other patients with um, diseases such as uh, multiple myeloma. So we would love for you to please visit www.cancerexperienceregistry.com registry.org and share with us your journey. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer, and we will be right back. Please join us for the final segment after this break.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. People living with breast cancer often find it difficult to ask for help, and many of the people in their lives want to help but don't know how. During National Breast Cancer Awareness Month, Cancer Support Community is proud to support Meal Trains sponsored by Magnolia, which utilizes Mealtrain.com, a free shared online calendar to streamline the process of giving and receiving meals for families coping with breast cancer. Help us reach our goal of 1,000 new breast cancer-specific meal trains this October. To learn more, visit Mealtrain.com slash MMT and enter the code MAGNOLIAB or visit us at CancerSupportCommunity.org. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the Azi Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for the keywords voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to facebook.com forward slash voice America or search for voice America. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. This is Linda House. I am filling in today for Kim Tebaldo, who will be back with you next week. And we've had a great conversation with Dr. Holly Peterson, who is the Director of Medical Breast Program at the Cleveland Clinic. And now we'd like to really bring it to all of you by asking one of Dr. Peterson's uh, patients, Christine Croissant, to really share with us her experience here. So I think what we've heard from Dr. Peterson has been amazing, but Christine will really help us understand it from a patient perspective. And Christine, I know that you have a very long um, bio and a very long history with uh, your experience working with Dr. Peterson. I would love for you to actually take us through that by telling us about your journey with screening Um, We've heard terms like variant of uncertain significance. So could you just really start at the top and tell us who you are and how you've gotten to be with us today? Sure. Thank you, Linda. I'm happy to be here and happy to share my story, and I hope it helps uh, women and men um, demystify all of this. So I um, am currently 51 years old. I have a long family history of 
what we thought was just ovarian cancer. And my mother is from Northern Europe. Um, her great-grandmother died of ovarian cancer when she was young, 42 years old. And my mother's mother died of it at 47 years old. And then my mother got ovarian cancer when she was 60 years old in the year 2000. At that point, um, she went through genetic testing. And that's when they told her that she had a variant of uncertain significance, as Dr. Peterson had talked about. Well, it was pretty clear that that ovarian cancer ran in our family and hit women at a young age. Um, I was not married at the time. I wanted to have children, so I didn't act on anything at that point. But then, fast forward several years later in 2007, I had finished having children. I was 41, and I knew that it was time to to act on this, and I had a full hysterectomy and oophorectomy, and I thought, I'm out of the woods, everything's going to be good, and my risk of cancer is gone. Well, (laughs) newsflash, um, in 2010, suddenly we got notice that my mother's uh, genetic test was uh, reclassified. Her variant was reclassified as suspected deleterious for BRCA1. So I then went in for genetic testing and found that I carried the same gene, and my sister did as well. And that was a a terrible blow for our family. Um, My mother felt very guilty for passing this on to us. Of course, she had no control over it. Um, It was was tough for all of us um, to navigate through this. It was the years before Angelina Jolie, and it was still Mm -hmm. a little bit new. Um, We were just so fortunate, though, um, to be connected with the people at the Cleveland Clinic in the the, uh, genetic counseling area, and I, I got connected with Dr. Peterson, and she was phenomenal, and really um, very clearly stated what the statistics and, um, and uh, uh, meanings of all of these, these tests are and, and what my, op- my uh, outcome could be. And it was, it was a choice for me of I could keep monitoring my breasts and, and potentially watch uh, for cancer to form and hope it doesn't form but knowing that it's a particularly malignant kind of cancer and it's fast-growing and monitoring every six months may or may not catch it, may not catch it in time. Um, it, it was a, it, it, that I knew was a risk I could not live with. I like to be in control of my destiny and shape my environment. I had young kids and a happy marriage. And so for me, it really ultimately really wasn't a, a choice at all. I, I knew that I had to have a, a full prophylactic mastectomy with reconstruction, which is what I did, and, uh, and I've never looked back. So you've, you've really taken a couple of sets of information that we've been talking about today, the family history, right? So putting the pieces together based on your family history, which I believe Dr. Peterson said is really the, the original and, and important piece of, of genetic testing, if you will, but then also using the evolution of the science, right? First with, with the information that you had from your, from your mother that led to um, your hysterectomy and oophorectomy, and then as the science has evolved over time, led to your taking um, the steps around your mastectomy. Yes, and it was interesting that it was 10 years in, in the process between my mother's 
test and the reclassification. Um, you know, 10 years in which we thought that, that one sort of decision based on family history would be sig- enough of a choice and, and, and enough of a decision, but turned out it wasn't. Yeah, so it really speaks to the importance of people being proactive in, in their health care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you, when you think about the role that, that you've taken and how you've really done that, you know, what would you say to others um, about, about just having the, the strength to do that, where to go find the knowledge to do that, and how to take some of the steps to be that proactive? Well, I feel that knowledge is a, is a gift, and it's our obligation to act on that gift. So there are experts all around us in, in the unlikeliest and likeliest of places. Of course, hopefully we all have good relationships with our physicians that we can speak with. Um, obviously, there's also a lot of information that one can learn online, but there's tremendous resources now that that this genetic testing has come to the forefront and there's terrific groups, Bright Pink for Younger Women and other groups like that, that that are great resources for women to talk with women and men to, to get involved with too because men are obviously afflicted by this as well. And educating yourself and talking with people, and it's funny, but you know how in life the more you talk with people, um, the, the things sort of, people come out of the woodwork and help you. My aunt was working out at Curves and on the machine next to her was a woman, my aunt, very outgoing woman, said, you have beautiful breasts. And the woman said, well, they're fake. And they started talking, and she found out that the woman had the same thing I did. And so that woman became a person that was one of my big role models in this whole process. It just It's funny how things lead to things, and you can educate yourself. And, and, um, and then family is so important, too. And my husband was a tremendous advocate for me along with the the doctors and the care team here at Cleveland Clinic. So um, I think that, uh, you know, you can, people, people have so many more resources than they, than they realize it's there for the taking and, and we have to act on the gift of knowledge that we've been given. I kept thinking about my great, great grandmother and my grandmother, how if they had only known that they carried this, they would have, for sure, made the choices to take out, have an oophorectomy, take out their breasts, so they could live to see their daughters and their grandchildren. Um, it, it motivated me to do this. Mm-hmm. So, as you mentioned, family, I would love for you to give us an update on you, your sister, and your mother, and tell us how everyone is doing today. <laughs> well, um, we're all healthy. Um, my sister made the decision to have her full hysterectomy several years after I did, so she had that in 2010, and then she waited a little bit longer and had a mastectomy in 2014, and she's doing well. My mother um, had the full hysterectomy when she obviously had the ovarian cancer. Um, she has decided not to have a mastectomy. She's nearing 80. This is uh, her choice, obviously, and um, for her, I think she feels that the risk of surgery is too severe for her to face, um, and she's comfortable with careful monitoring. 
We all are very, very proactive with our health. We go in for all of the monitoring that uh, is recommended, and we're careful about our eating. And um, so far, so so good. Um, we do have children, and at some point, we will have to cross the bridge and think about talking with them about uh, genetic testing and next steps for them, but most of the kids are quite young yet, and it's not something we have to worry about yet. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, thank you for sharing your, your story with us, and it does really underscore really how personalized this is. We sort of use that term loosely personalized, but it really is personalized testing, personalized treatment, personalized decisions, and we really appreciate you helping us um, underscore underscore that for our listeners. It's my pleasure. Thank you. So as we close the show today, I would like to thank Dr. Peterson and Christine for joining us. And as I said, the information is just really invaluable, and I'm sure we'll touch a number of people in in different ways. For our listeners, thank you also for joining us today. Just to remind you, the cancer support community provides a variety of in-person, online, and over-the-phone support, and we do have information on genetic and genomic testing available to you. Visit our website at www.cancersupportcommunity.org, where you can find a location near you or call Call our toll-free helpline, and that number is 888-793-9355 to speak with one of our licensed mental health professionals. Until next time, be well, do well, live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. Support